the book of Proverbs, which was ending our summer series. And next week we begin in a new series uh, through going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So Proverbs, we're going to be in chapter 9 today. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a, a blue Bible in front of you. That's uh, if you turn to page 533. 533, we'll be reading from two different sections in Proverbs chapter 9. But before that, I want you to know that this morning, the writer and the preacher, me, I am asking you to make a turn. I'm asking you to make a choice. You've been going down some road. You've been traveling down some kind of path. And you know, you know it's unwise. It's it's some area of your life, some lack of discipline, some bad habit. Maybe it's a a false story or a a false narrative that keeps rolling and playing through your mind. It's unwise, it's unhealthy, and it's eventually destructive to you, to the relationships around you, to your soul. And I'm asking you this morning to grab the steering wheel of your soul and to get off that road and take the exit ramp onto a new road. That's what I'm asking you this morning. That's what this text is asking of everyone this morning. And and I don't know what it is for you, but I'm guessing that some of you right now, you already know what it is. You, you feel confronted even in this opening paragraph to say, oh, no, he's talking directly to me. I know what that unhealthy, unwise road that's so destructive for me that I need to finally take the steering wheel of my soul and, and take the exit into a wise and healthy road. You, you, you sit here and you look all nice from the outside, so I can't tell and somebody else can't tell, but, but your interior life, is chaotic or it's shrinking or it's polluted and so you need to get off that road maybe maybe this is your first time at Christ Community Church and we're glad that you're here but you too know you know a road that's been unhealthy and we don't think you've arrived here by chance We think you've arrived here because of the divine intersection. And this may be the morning, this may be the day that God grabs a hold of your life and says, hey, it's time for you to take care of your soul, to get off of this road and to move in a wiser path, to finally address that one habit or weakness that you've tried to convince yourself, oh, it's really not that big of a deal, but it's like a single bullet hole in the bottom of your boat. It doesn't take on a lot of water all at once, but over time, your soul is sinking because you've never really addressed this hole in your soul, and it's gone on time and time again. You're you're sinking your soul because you refuse to get off that unhealthy road. Listen to this parable. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it, and you could see the rocks and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. 
High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember the time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or falling leaves or debris debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect, giving the money to an unseen stream cleaner was a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the waters. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed and farm waste turned parts of the stream into a stagnant bog. For a time, no one in the village noticed, but after a while, the water was not the same. It no longer had the crisp scent that drew the children to play in it. Some people in the town began to grow ill, and everyone noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty which used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the whole town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council quickly reconvened the old man, and the old man was rehired. After some time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. You are the keeper of your soul. I'm not the keeper of your soul. Your spouse isn't the keeper of your soul. You are the keeper. And if you get on the wrong roads to cause debris and pollute your own soul, illness, destructive things happen to a person on those wrong roads. And I'm asking you this morning, as the writer is of Proverbs, Solomon, to take a look at your own soul, to ask yourself, have I been a good keeper? Would I hire myself to keep the stream of my soul clean? Let's read Proverbs chapter 9, 1 through 6, and then 13 through 18. And we'll see what Proverbs is talking about. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women and to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Contrasting the woman of folly, verse 13. The woman of folly is loud. She is seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town calling out to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we come to this place for for perhaps many of us a significant fork in the road. The, the way of wisdom, the way of foolishness. The choices that we make that have eternal consequences on our souls. And so I'm praying that as we take this text today and think about it, that you, by the power and the presence and the realness of your Holy Spirit, would invade every soul and help them to see what you want them to see about you, what you want them to see about themselves today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Following communion, I'll be up here for prayer. So after the service is over, this is the kind of sermon that that God may invade your soul. I hope he does. And it might be helpful just to have somebody to pray with you. Say something out loud. I feel like God is, is speaking to me in this way, and I want to be available. So I'll be up here afterwards. The, the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters, is a series of speeches delivered by a father to his son. And then from chapter 10 to 31, it's just a series of Proverbs. But the first nine are a series of speeches, and since we're in chapter 9, this is the last speech. You get the feeling of the father who's telling the, the college student who's just about ready to go off to college, I've just got one more shot. I've got one more thing to say. I've got one more thing to exhort, to, to call out to you. And he's calling out to his son to do the same thing that I'm calling out for you to do is to turn here. You're going to have so many opportunities to make a good choice, a wise choice, or an unhealthy choice, a wise choice or a foolish choice. And I'm, I'm pleading with you, turn towards wisdom, not towards foolishness. And so this morning, I just want to accomplish two things. Number one, I just want to make three observations about the text. And secondly, I want to suggest three possible turns that you might take. And you might say, that's just like a pastor. He gives you two things he's going to do, and he puts three of them in each one. So really, it's six things. But I'm really just trying to do these two things. Make three observations. These are observations you could make. And then three possible turns that you might make today. First observation, both women are calling out, notice, from the highest places in the town. Verse 3, verse 14. The highest places in the town in the ancient world is the place of worship. So if you come to Jerusalem and you look to the highest place in the town, guess what you see? You see the, the temple. If you go to Athens and you look to the highest places in the town, what do you see? You see the Parthenon. So in ancient times, you're walking towards a city, and the very first thing that you notice is, what do these people worship? What's at the very top of their lives? What dominates, what consumes their whole life? And you know it by what's at the very highest place. And so when this woman or both of these women are calling out from the highest place, this is code language for worship. 
These two women aren't just asking you to sort of go down this path or go down this path. They're asking you to worship. To get underneath, to be consumed by, to be controlled by this particular way or that particular way. They're calling out the road you choose is going to dominate your life. And just like every human has to breathe, we're designed to breathe, every single human being is designed to worship. You and I will worship. That's not a question. You and I will breathe. That's not a question. The question is, what is it you will worship? We were designed to be worshipers. And so there's not a third road here. There's the road that goes to wisdom. We're going to worship in that direction. Or the road that goes to foolishness. We're going to worship in that direction. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is it we're worshiping? Second observation, both women are calling out to the same group of people. Notice that again in verse 4 and 16. Who are they calling out to? The simple and people who lack sense. So they're both at these high places. There's a single road maybe, and they're calling down to people who are simple. They're naive. They're not just stupid. They're, they're more of a person who, who's easily led astray. I just don't have a good foundation, so I hear a voice, and I'm kind of easily attracted to that voice. I'm easily swayed, or I lack sense. This is, I'm void, literally, I'm void of understanding. One commentator says, let's just say brainless. So they're calling out to the, the, the naive and the brainless, the simple and the brainless, brainless. Now, this is the hard part. This might be the hardest part for some of you to really grasp. The reason they're calling out to only one kind of person, the simple and the brainless, is because there is only one kind of person. There are only simple and brainless people on this road. When you're disconnected from God, you are simple and brainless. See, from God's perspective, he doesn't look at humanity like a bell curve. You know what the bell curve is? You know, you got some, like, really smart people that if you were in my class, I wouldn't like you because you're ruining, you know, my curve. And you get the A's, you get the hundreds, and then you got the, the massive group in the middle, and then you got some at the end, and the, the, the simple and brainless people at the end. That's how a lot of times we look at ourselves. Where am I on a scale? Where, where am I on this curve? And so frequently you grade yourself so, so near the top of the curve. And when God, from God's perspective, it's, just, it's not a bell curve, it's a line. Everyone's in the same line. Everyone's lined up. No matter what kind of education you have, no matter where you came from, everybody's on the simple and brainless Line And so they're calling out to the same kinds of people because there are only one kind of person in God's view. And he's call, they're calling out, turn here. You've got to turn one way or the other. Please turn into this way. Third observation. There is a significant cost to you or me either way we choose. Either way we choose, there's going to be something that is costly to you and I. First of all, let's look at the way of wisdom, verses 4 through 6. 
Whoever is simple. This is just as, as broad an ask as you can. Just anyone, whoever. Everybody on the road can turn down this way. Whoever is simple, whoever lacks sense, come and you eat this meal that this person has prepared for you. And what, you, what do you get in the end? You get life. You get insight, verse 6. So you turn in here and you get life. You get insight. And you say, yes, I would love that. Well, what does it cost? What does it cost? What does it say? You must leave your simple ways. You must leave your simple ways. You, you can't stay on the road you're on and also get on the way of wisdom. You've got to make a choice. If you're going to get on the way of wisdom, you're going to have to leave some things behind. You cannot stay on that simple road. And so often people try to stay one foot in one way, one foot, and just pretty quickly they just get torn apart. What about the way of folly? Verse 16 through 18. Turn in here. Turn in here, she cries out. What are the costs? Well, it doesn't look like there's any cost right here in the beginning because what we're drinking is stolen. didn't cost anybody anything. I just got it somehow, and we're going to do everything in secret, in the dark. doesn't appear to be any cost. And what do you get? You get sweetness and pleasure. You get sweetness and pleasure without any cost. Sign me up. I am all in for sweetness and pleasure without any apparent cost. But what do we know if we keep reading? There is a hook in this bait. And the problem is you don't see it to the end. You notice what, she, what, what it says? But he, verse 18, he doesn't know the way he's going. He doesn't know that it ends in death. He doesn't know that all the guests of this woman end up in hell. So many people say, sign me up, no cost, sweetness and pleasure, but they don't see this hidden hook that in the end it's going to cost you your whole life. And so in this final speech of this father to his son, he, he wants to make it very clear. He says, son, you're the keeper of your soul. And what's at stake is life and death. What's at stake is heaven and hell. So you've got to be a good keeper of your soul. You've got to choose wisely. Now let me offer three possible turns that you might need to make today. You might feel convicted right now of some turn, and I don't want to mess with that. But my guess is all of us could find one place in these three that we might need to take a turn. And by doing this, I want to refer to a couple of other Proverbs. So if you turn left back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, probably the most popular Proverbs of the whole book, it says this, very familiar, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. On all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. See that? Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and bring refreshment to your bones. So the first and most important turn anyone can make in this room, in the world, is to turn their whole heart and life towards Jesus Christ. That's the very first step on the step to wisdom. 
The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Trusting the Lord. Giving your whole heart. Giving your whole life to the Lord. And Jesus uses the very first, the same term, term as turn in his first sermon. You remember what he says? Repent. That's his very first word in his very first sermon. And you know what that word means? Turn around. You simple people, you people who are lacking sense, you're going in the wrong direction. You're heading towards death, and I've come to give you life, but you've got to turn around. You've got to turn away from those ways, and you've got to follow after me. And I know the way might look sweet and pleasant at the time, but trust me, there's a hook at the end that you're not going to like. So turn towards me. Turn and find life. So when we repent, repentance means turning away from your old road. Trusting your whole heart, trusting your whole life to Jesus. I love this quote from a commentary that I've been using. It's on the front of your bulletin. Anyone can join the party. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Remember that the simple is the beginner, the one who lacks commitment. But Christ is so humble to come to us just as we are. And here is a simple gospel mantra to always keep in mind. One, I am a complete idiot. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm simple. I'm brainless. I'm that person. Number two. I am, I, I am a complete idiot, number two. My future is incredibly bright. And number three, anyone can get in. Anyone. Whoever is simple, turn in here. You, you can turn in to life this morning in the person of Jesus Christ. But let me just say one of the biggest barriers to this turn is that you really can't admit that you're simple and brainless. In fact... You don't even like being called a name in a church. Like, I came to church and the pastor called me simple and brainless. It's something in our DNA, our sinful DNA. I just can't see myself that way. I can't see myself in that kind of desperation. I don't see myself. I need help. I need tweaking. But I don't need absolute salvation. I'm not really dead in my sins. I'm just kind of limping along. And if you don't see yourself in this way, you're never going to see the beauty of Jesus. So the first step in this repentance is identifying yourself as one of these simple, brainless people on this road. Instead, we prefer, as Proverbs says, to lean on our own understanding, to be wise in our own eyes. Later on in Proverbs 26, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool. Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It looks like you're doing the right thing. It feels sweet. It feels pleasant, but it leads to death. There's a hook that you can't see. I was listening to a guy tell a story about his friend who's an excavator. You know an excavator is? This is like the, the job every fifth grade boy wants. Drive heavy machinery, right? You don't have to be fifth grade. You can be me, right? And it's just it's the big backhoe with the big shovel. You're like, this is awesome. 
And it's really just get to tear things up with a thing. And so that's what a guy likes. And so this guy's an excellent, excellent excavator. And he gets a call to dig a hole in the backyard of this person because they're going to put in a pool. That's the first thing. So he takes, takes his excavator out there. He digs perfectly. That's the reason he got called. Giant hole. And he's standing there and admiring his work at the end of the day. And the couple come home and drive home at the end of the day, come into their backyard, and they say, what have you done? And he said, well, I've dug a hole for your pool. I didn't ask for a pool. That was my neighbor. Oh, oh. I've been digging a perfect hole in the wrong backyard. You can do that. You can spend your whole life digging a perfect hole. Only to find out at the end, you're in the wrong backyard. You can spend your whole life, and people can really admire you for digging this perfect hole, for having this perfect family and this perfect career and this perfect retirement. And in the end, God comes and says, you're in the wrong backyard. And it's too late. It's too late. So this may be the very first turn for you just to say, I've been digging a perfect hole in the wrong backyard. And I've got to turn to Jesus. And wherever he goes and whatever he says, then I'm going to move in that direction. That's the first turn. And some of you need to make that turn today. Second, Proverbs 6, 9, and 11. Second turn you might need to make today. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Chapter 6, verse 9. You're getting called a lot of names here from the text. Not from the pastor. I'm just reading the text. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When you will arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. For some, the turn you need to make is turning away from being a spiritual sluggard. You have given your life to Christ. But you never took care of a hole in your soul. You just kept living with it saying, yeah, I mean, I got the grace thing going for me. I'm just, I'm not going to address that thing. I kind of like the simple way and I just can't quite let go of that simple way. And so I've never really addressed it. And your soul is getting polluted. You're not a good keeper of your soul because you've just been spiritually lazy. You haven't been willing to put in the hard work to make changes in the habits of your life to say, I'm going to finally address something that's causing my soul to sink. You've never really left your simple ways Behind And one of the great travesties of this, it's robbing you from being effective in the kingdom of God. You could have so much wider influence, but you've allowed this one hole to keep drowning your soul. So you can never make much forward progress in your life with the Lord and for the kingdom. Because you're, you're, you're just spiritually too lazy to take the steps it takes to really change, to really turn 
in this series, we've talked about more than these, but here are four. Anger, money, pride, and lust. Pretty much sure that covers 100% of the people here. That one of these is a struggle for you. One of these is polluting your stream. And you say, that's right, pastor. I'm going to get to work on that tomorrow. Oh, man. Had a guy for some time visited Christ Community Church. This was some time ago. And very encouraging to me as a pastor because if I ever saw him as I left, got, we got the double handshake. You know what? The hand and the hand. So we got the double handshake. Vigorous. Great message, Pastor. Boy, whoa, that was pointed towards me, he would say. And I didn't know him that well, but as I got to know him, I thought, several of these messages are pointed towards you. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't aiming at him, but they just, the content went towards things that he needed to work on. But you know what? He came long enough, I never saw him change. He, he understood he needed something. He got what he needed, but he never did anything with it. It's like he walked out the door and he just dropped the diamond on the floor Right before he left to say, yeah, but I'm never going to address this hole in my soul. I know it. I see it. You're pointing it out to me. But but for whatever reason, I just can't make myself really address it. And I'm praying today, this would be the day you would take the steering wheel of your soul and say, I've got to get off this road. First of all, obviously, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. But, but so often we just say, okay, I'm going to really double up my prayer. You've got to tell somebody. You've got to come to somebody and say, I've got this hole. I've tried praying, and it doesn't work. I need somebody to join in with me. And don't get one of your snowflake friends. That'll say, oh, bless your heart. It's okay. We've got grace. Don't, say, don't find that person for this problem. No snowflake friends. You can't ever have a snowflake friend who's your accountability partner. If they use the word blessed, a lot of times they're not qualified for this job. Find somebody else. You've got to have somebody who will say, I see the hole with you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you to get out of this place for your soul, for the kingdom of God. But somehow you've kept it inside, you've kept it all wrapped up, and nobody knows it, and you're sinking. And it's time to tell somebody and to say, I'm going to start doing whatever it takes to, to put a patch over the hole in this part of my soul. One final turn, and this is our final point. Proverbs 24:10 If you faint in the day of adversity your strength is small rescue those who are being taken away to death 
Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. But if you say, well, we didn't know it. Does not he, God, who weighs the heart, perceive it? He knows you know it. One final turn some of us need to make is to realize we live in the day of adversity today. We are in the day of adversity, and you know it. You know it. You see it. You just have to read the newspaper, watch the television. You know we are living in the day of adversity. We can't come to God and say, well, in 2017, I didn't know it. No, you know it. And if you didn't know it before, you know it right now. We live in it right now. We're in desperate need of spiritually strong, mature men and women to get in the fight for people who are being led to slaughter. And if you think the government or some other program is going to do it, it's not going to do it. That's the work of God's people. To rescue people who are going to be slaughtered. That's the role of the kingdom of God, the church here on earth. And you can't do everything, but you can plug yourself into something. And some of us are just saying, well, I I got too many Bible studies. It's so much easier to say, I just need to get in my third Bible study, than actually get involved with somebody whose soul is dying, whose soul is perishing. That takes a lot of risk. That takes a a lot of courage to get involved in that way. You might lose something. You will lose something. You'll lose some of your time. You'll lose some of your sleep. You'll lose some of your resources. You might lose some of your reputation. But you're involved with what God wants you to do. Sadly, it's so easy to just post something on Facebook and to think you've done something. That's not doing anything. There's a term for that now. It's called virtue signaling. You heard that term? People want to make sure that you know you have virtue, so you post it on. Who cares about that? You've got to get involved in some life. And again, this might just be something as simple as somebody in your workplace or your neighborhood. I'm not asking you to go to China or Africa. Maybe some of you should go to China and Africa. But I'm just saying we've got to have this group of people get in the game. And some of you can't because you've got a hole that's dragging you down. You can never make much forward movement, but some of you just, it's time to get in the game. It's time to say, I live in the time of adversity, and God's going to call me to account, and I can't say, well, I didn't know it. You know it. So the father speaking to the son, the pastor's shepherding his congregation, pleading for you. Take the steering wheel of your soul and turn towards Jesus Christ. Take the steering wheel of your soul and say to someone, I've got a hole in my boat. It's causing my soul to sink. I need your help. 
or say, I see an issue in my life, in my city, in my neighborhood. I see a ministry in my church, and I'm going to get involved. I'm going to personally, I'm going to, um, it's going to cost me something to get involved. It's not difficult because we have a Savior. It, co- it cost him something to save people who were going to slaughter. He didn't send down. He didn't post something. He came down. He personally got involved. He, he, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He gave himself on the cross. And what does he expect of his followers? He expects to make them in his image. And what does he say? If anyone wants to follow after me, what do you have to do? Take up your cross. See, it's going to look like this. So this morning, we have a chance to take communion. So this might be just a moment for you to just think, Lord, what, what, what is the turning you want me to take? And so this time of communion is you're, you're coming again. You're reminding yourself of the story true story of Jesus and his sacrifice. If you don't know Jesus, I would say you should just stay in your seat and think, "What? I'm worshiping something. What is it I'm worshiping? But if you've trusted in Christ, you come to the table. But ask yourself, what turn, what turn is it that God wants me to make today? Let's pray together. Lord, we know on the night that you were betrayed, you gave it all. You took the bread and broke it, and you said, this is my body that you're giving away, you're giving it to me. This is the blood of a new covenant that you're making with your people to remember you every time we're together for this service. Would you bless your simple elements for simple people to make them Christ-like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.